Welcome to the Rockonomics Podcast, episode number 47. I'm your host, Dill, and today we welcome guitarist Joel Hoekstra to the show. Joe is easily one of the busiest musicians out there today. He currently juggles three extremely successful global acts, Cher, Whitesnake, and the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. In between those gigs, he's appearing at the Monsters of Rock Cruise, playing in the Rock of Ages band, and contributing to various sessions, collaborations, and solo projects. He's played My City three times in six months with a fourth on the way, and I was lucky enough to catch him while on tour with Cher. And our conversation about how he manages his crazy schedule, and much, much more, went a little something like this. There's always a perception when you want to be a rock star. And then once you start to get in it and, you know, get your feet wet, what what kind of pops up as being like, oh, this is a little, I, I never considered this or oh, I, it works this way. Was there anything that kind of, was there any early lessons that kind of stick out for you? Uh, well, it's shocking when things finally do work out. Because <laughs> you've tried for so long and pushed for uh, right. that type of thing, so uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's actually a big part of it. And then uh, just it really kind of comes down to the same thing as anybody else in their jobs, or really anything that anybody does in life. Is the secret is just to spend time with it, right? I mean, the longer you do podcasts and interview people, the better you're going to get at this, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more I do interviews or respond to people, the better I'll get at it. And music is just very much the same way. There's a lot of magic attached to it, but uh, that's the lesson right away. And when I guess to touch on the rock star thing, there's all that magic is attached to that when you're a kid. You look at all the people who are rock stars like they're like you know deities, like magical yeah. beings, and when you realize they're people and they're just you know musicians and so that right there is is a is a great lesson to learn, I guess, or something that really sticks with you or is an eye opener. Right, yeah. right. I'm not sure I'm aware of like what were your first um you know, did you wanna were you in a band, you know, at an early age or out of high school or out of you know Yeah, I started it so my parents are classical musicians and they made me do other stuff at younger ages and I was terrible. I, I, some people like hear this and they think, Wow, the guy's was classically trained, but I mean, I played cello when I was three and piano when I was seven, and I didn't really care for either one. And then I saw ACDC and I wanted to play guitar, and I was at age 11. And I started off just by like jamming with like, I couldn't really get a whole band together at that age. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it'd be like me jamming with a drummer, and we'd get together every day and jam. That started right away, and then my first full band, I think I was 15. It took me a while to get a band that could get out and play gigs, and that's how old I was when that began. Okay. Yeah. And did you, you know, was your first stab at a quote-unquote business in a band, trying to get a deal? Well, that was sort of like the thing that everybody said back then. I mean, I was so young. I mean, like we're talking just beginning my junior year in high school I was a little ahead in school I was a little younger uh, junior than most but yes yeah, so I I mean you, people used to say stuff like that but at the same time where I came from you really weren't supposed to ever that was like all just like magical right. stuff so that was would never happen, happen to, to you. local kids like you right exactly so that that in itself is kind of it just still makes me approach everything with an optimism all the way to date mm-hmm. that I feel like I, I just, 
I, I guess I cherish it because it's hard earned, like everything that I got to, and it's also like kind of unexpected in a weird way. Right. And what? How old were you when it was like? I want this to be. I'm going to go for it. This is what my pursuit's going to be. Yeah, you know, I never. That decision was kind of made like the very first lesson I had on electric guitar, basically, where the teacher taught me paranoid and. I went home and I plugged into like our home stereo at the time. My parents wanted to make sure I was serious enough before they'd buy me an amp. And I like played that riff for like hours and hours and hours. And I just completely, I'm sure drove everybody in the neighborhood nuts. So I'd turn up the home stereo loud. And so just my enthusiasm was so high for it at a young age that that's actually what I say to people all the time. It was a blessing in life because I never really had to make a career decision. It's almost like it never happened for me. There's been some times where things look a little bleak and dark where I questioned what I was doing, but then I never had to actually go like, you know what I want to do? I'm going to play guitar. It was sort of like the first time I played it and played rock. That's when I was like, oh, that's, this is awesome. I'll just do this. And your, your parents were musicians, say classical, classical. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously you had the support of your parents yeah, ish. They, I mean, I, I, I think because they they were classical musicians also in a way that didn't necessarily want to see me make a living in music because they envisioned like, I mean, as anybody, as any parent would for their kid, right? Because you go, well, that's going to be a long haul. Like, <laughs> that's going to be a tough thing to make a living at. So, but I think in general, supportive of certainly of learning music and, and, uh, bettering myself in that department but in terms of the that's what I'm going to do with my life and make a living they might have been a little like make sure you really want to do that right <laughs> at what point or how old were you when we, when you actually had to have it make a living pay the bills pay the rent I started teaching guitar when I was like 14 maybe 13 I was given some lessons already so uh, I I did have a series of odd jobs before everything kind of took off for me. Like when I got out of um, GIT, guitar school in Hollywood, for a year, uh, worked at a, a recording studio, and that was pretty much the last time I didn't make a living with my guitar. Like once I, I moved back to Chicago, I started teaching, and I had like 70-plus students a week. And then I kind of supplemented the teaching with gigs. Mm-hmm. So whatever gigs would happen, I could take off a of teaching so eventually when I moved to New York to do the show Love Janice, that was the first time it was no longer teaching. It was like only playing to make a living. And um, I'd say I supplemented it with teaching, but I, I never really have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did like a t- couple tiny windows of teaching some guitar lessons. But basically since the time I turned 30, it's been nothing but gigs. Okay. And was that when did uh, Love Janice come about? That was 2001. Uh, so I played in Chicago. I played with the, the girl Kathy Richardson who got the role playing Janis Joplin in this um, show called Love Janice. And it was they, when it was going to New York, basically I got myself in as the guitar player, made an audition CD, so to speak, for the music director and, uh, and then moved to New York thinking it would run as long as it did in Chicago, which was like two months. It didn't run long at all. And so I told my students, like, I'll be back in a couple months. Here's this guy to teach you in the meantime. And uh, I thought I would be going right back. But then the show ran for two years. Okay. So you never can tell. Like, I never really wanted to move to New York City in my entire life, but ended up there. 
so I mean, by the time the show closed, I was moved in with my now wife, and I mean, it just was like, all right, I guess I'm not going back to Chicago. Like, <laughs> I live here now. So, well, New York's also a notoriously expensive town. Was it a struggle, you know, going there at first, or did? Oh, you don't have to put it in the past tense. <laughs> you can, I know you're still there, right? It's, yeah, I'm still there. So like 18 years later, I'm still in New York after, like, saying I never expected to go there. Uh, so, uh, yeah, New York is very difficult, like, with, with the money thing. Very difficult. I mean, so the real estate thing is mega expensive. And um, taxes, you get hit really hard. Yeah. No matter what, and uh, schools are very expensive. I'm a dad, so uh, getting my kids through school there is like, you know, it's like I'm paying college tuition already. Do you live right in the city? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I just, yeah, I moved from, I moved here from New York. I was here for about 20 years. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that, all that stuff's a challenge, but uh, there are some trade offs. Like, I don't own a car, mm-hmm. which most people would find interesting. They yeah. think, oh, wow, you're playing a rock band, you must have a cool car or something. I don't, I don't even own one. Uh, so the, you can save, obviously, a, a decent amount of money there. There's a little trade-off about living in New York City. And uh, certainly having the, the airports that I have mm-hmm. for like all the, the flying that I do with my, my job, it's helpful. Do you ever consider moving just to get a lower cost of living or just as a strictly monetary reason to... Yeah, I mean, I, I would like to. It doesn't make sense for the rest of the family at this stage of the game, you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, honestly, New York is not, it's not like there's like a local music scene that I'm a part of there anymore anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I kind of gave that up at a point. Like the learning a singer-songwriter songs in town or whatever and going and playing a gig at the bitter end or something or Rockwood just to... Right. do a local gig and be on the scene and it just didn't at a point it I don't know that just didn't matter to me anymore and well, I noticed it, it felt like know, it was more trouble than it was worth I noticed in your description of what you did throughout 2018 and I'm sure what you've done for the past your entire career but are, are you in in saying that about New York that it doesn't really have a scene are you I know you're you're writing songs with people you're collaborating is that like a pretty much a Dropbox collaboration where you're People are wearing yeah, pretty much just sending stuff back and forth. Outside of my friend Rachel Lauren, I mean, she lives in New York. I did get together with her out there to write songs in person. In person's always better mm-hmm. if you can do it. There's like times where being in New York City is cool, and it has a scene. It's not that it doesn't have a scene at all. It's just not what it like I think used to be. Yeah, like, yeah. Where there was the whatever CBGBs and all mm-hmm. that stuff, or all the, the but even the recording studios, right? The recording studios. Like, it's all kind of in decline. So. Uh, you know, I mean, that's all kind of bigger, bigger stuff that I like to say is all kind of beyond my control anyway. So it's, it's more about what you can control and what you can do better at and not just complain anyway, I guess. Right. I mean, right. it's, it's like just the, trying to be productive every day is the thing I say in every interview I ever do. So my apologies for saying it in this <laughs> one too, but that is, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to every day trying to do the best you can and be productive, mm-hmm. I think. Like an, almost a no-days-off mentality. Obviously, once in a while you're going to blow everything off for a day or something. But Take an imaginary weekend when you can. Yeah, but I mean, even on days where if, it's, say, I don't have a, a gig to do, like right now every other day is a day off technically with the share tour, but I'm always I'm working on my, my album or I'm 
uh, working whatever on social media or interacting with people and uh, that stuff is like a constant part of the job that never goes away I think mm -hmm. in terms of uh, I guess just putting effort into what you do it's part of it like I definitely will play my guitar for a couple hours yet tonight after this interview and that's lately out here that's just been kind of like you know it's like lazy man's practice but I'm kind of getting ready for my Monsters of Rock Cruise thing, but I'm doing that at the venue on show days. And that, but I'm just kind of just taking uh, Pentatonic and just chops chops mm -hmm. with it. And so I'll just put something on Netflix for a couple hours and practice for a couple hours. Just kind of like noodling in front of the TV, yeah. you know, but circa 2019 now, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the 2019 version of that. <laughs> now, your schedule is insane, to put it, you know, lightly do you ha are you doing this all yourself do you have a is your wife helping you do you have a manager do you have a you know do you have a i've just done it myself and uh it's a lot of common sense and you know i guess i would i would definitely do the manager thing if i ever really saw somebody that i felt was more enthused about what i do than me but i've never really seen that mm -hmm. see people that like would like a percentage of what you make right, right, right. <laughs> more than see somebody who has a, like a belief in me or something like that. I, I've never really had that. Mm -hmm. Anybody approach me with a, this is where you deserve to be and I'm going to make it happen for you. Like that's never happened in my life. So, right. uh, so yeah, I just put it all together, man, and do the best I can with every situation and like try and be upfront and not, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know what's the what's the right word. I don't never dishonest with camps about what you're going to be able to do and right. and how you're looking at it and your schedule and just trying to be forthright. Have you had any like I said it, there's there's been some overlap I've seen in sometimes. How do you how does you handle that? Like you said it's just uh, well it depends. It's it's a case by case situation. So yeah, it's it's a it happens all the time. Anytime you juggle more than one thing, there's there's going to be that and uh I mean, I could go back to, I guess, really the beginning of that was the Night Ranger, being a Night Ranger and having Rock of Ages, which Rock of Ages was amazing because I could sub out whenever I wanted down to the day. Mm -hmm. And my job was union protected, so no one could come in and say, yeah, that guy's never here, you know, hire me. It was like they give you a hiring slip when they hire you on Broadway, you just have the job. And I could take off and schedule it entirely around my tour schedule at the time, which was Night Ranger to begin. And then I joined Trans-Siberian Orchestra during that, too. So, I mean, I'd get done with Trans-Siberian Orchestra December 30, and I'd be playing at Rock of Ages December 31 back home. So there's things like that are great for that. So that but that's an obvious one, right? So, okay, so obviously you're going to sub out of Rock of Ages. But there's, there's a, on a flip side to that, because... That gig was like I was primarily in the background on a bandstand. There was no like, hey, we have, at the time, like Joel Hookser from Night Ranger in our band. None of that. Nope. No promo, which could have been seen as like, well, I don't want to do that, man. I'm just in the background the whole time. There's only a couple times I get to shine and I'm in a band. You have to feel like the, the flip side is you see it as the opportunity and go, well, wait a minute. That's amazing because they won't really need me there. I can take off when I need to. Right. It's sort of like always having a, a cool gig. It wasn't like as cool as being in a band or being on tour or whatever, but having that to uh, go in and out of like that, brilliant. That stuff doesn't grow on trees. So that was a great that, – that changed my financial reality, those six years of that show running, just simply because I basically never had a day off. Mm 
I gigged like every day for six years. Okay. Were you, is there a story behind, were you part of the inception of, you know, when Rock of Ages started or where did you come into the... No, it, it, it really didn't have legs until it came to New York. It was kind of a, it, they had the run in, in, in LA to start and then they had a really tiny Vegas run that was a little bit of a disaster. And then when they brought it to New York, I think they just kind of caught lightning in a bottle with how they casted it and it just had the right amount of campiness and the right amount. So it was a, it was a big hit off Broadway and that's when I started with it. Ran very briefly there because they just, I think, really wanted to show it to investors and get the money right. to take it to Broadway. And then they took it to Broadway and it ran basically a little over six years, I think. So crazy. I think 2,400 performances or something like that. I think I played probably, my rough math was like I probably played sixteen or 1,700 of them. <laughs> so. I wonder if I saw the show back in New York mm-hmm. when it was... On Broadway. So depending on what day, I may or may not have been there. I mean, I, I, I think my percentage probably came in somewhere about 65 or 70% of the shows I was there. But I was kind of always doing weekends with Night Ranger at that time. And then I'd always miss November, December to do TSO. Mm-hmm. So so everything coalesces right then. And you say, you know, monetary-wise things, you know, it's it puts you in a better place. What was it like prior to that or years prior to that? Was it just kind of... Uh, well, I mean, the darkest period is like, cause I grew up in the suburbs where kind of where everybody takes the safe route. I hate to generalize cause I certainly wasn't the only one who like tried to go in the arts, but in general people are like, Oh, I'm going to go to college, this college for this, get my bachelor's degree and get a job and you know, whatever. It's yeah. very much like you're going to live this life. Forgo my dreams. And so, that, I mean, there's definitely that dark era where unless things magically work out for you and you're, like, doing extraordinarily well at, like, 25 years old where you're going to be characterized, I guess, as a loser, right? Because it's going to be like, hey, man, you know, this guy's working here or at this yeah, yeah. college. And so there's always going to be a little bit of, like, oh, I guess I'm the oddball here, you know, <laughs> plugging away with this guitar in my room or playing once a week with a wedding band or whatever, like I was doing at the time and stuff like that or you know you just wonder what it's all about or how it's ever all going to end up all right but I think as as long as you do the best you can and always try not work other people that kind of does take care of itself and again you can't do that in a this year I'm going to try and work harder than everybody because the only thing you can really kind of control is the the day you're in so that's why I always like to break it down to saying it's it's all about like every day Mm mm-hmm because if you do that, if you're going to bed every night and you're like, yeah, I outworked the other guy, or I worked harder than I think you know your average Joe probably would have, then you'll get back what you put into it. Yeah, my feeling is. Are you? Do you ever get burnout? I mean, again, I, I look at your schedule, your 2018 schedule. Just it's, you know, it's taxing to you know move through time zones. It's taxing to you know even Trans Siberian Orchestra. Your uh, your schedule is insane. For that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So. <laughs> As truthful as I can be, and I and I think I'm actually in the majority. I think a lot of musicians feel this way. And it's a really weird thing. I've never been able to actually understand why we're this way. But if you kind of gave us all the choice almost every day when there's a show, do you want a day off today or do you want a show? Most of the people that do it for a living would say, I'll take the day off. Like, that sounds amazing. Like, if for some reason you could, whatever the gig was canceled or something like that, most musicians would be like, okay, that, that's actually kind of nice. Get, a, get a, a surprise day off. But, so for whatever reason, you don't want to do it, but yet when you're on stage, you have the best time of your life that transcends everything. 
So I don't I don't really understand the psychology of it. I mean, so much so that everybody has all their things in music, you know, with uh, partying and stuff to maintain the high of the way you feel on the stage. And I guess part of that maybe is with me. It's like the anticipation, anxiety and things like that. It's almost painful in a way to lead into playing. There's like a mental build up to it, I guess. I don't know. I'm just trying to theorize because yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm in the majority, man. It's like most people at that point in time would go, you know, it'd just be great if I could just watch a movie and just chill and like <laughs> whatever. Uh, but yet when you go out on stage, you have the best time ever. So yeah. who knows? That's interesting here. What, like, what's, what's an early lesson that you learned about the business that I, I guess that you just didn't realize going into being a working musician? Mm. I think people really, people like people that uh, are respectful. I mean, it's the same thing of how you treat people in life. You're gonna, you're gonna get back what you put out there, right? Mm -hmm. So, I think a, a lot of it with me and a lot of my employment has to do with the fact that I try to be respectful of everybody that employs me. I thank them all the time, like not just when I have to, like after a big moment or whatever, but I'll just periodically. To like text David Coverdale, for instance, be like, dude, I haven't told you in a while, but I'm like, I'm having a blast in your band, and it's really yeah. great to be a part of, and this is, I'm having the time of my life, so thank you so much, man. You know, yeah, and yeah. I think stuff like that goes a long way, uh, and it's truthful and it's from the heart. It's not just something that I'm, you know, planning or plotting, but I think it's a nice thing to do, just sort of remind yourself. So I think that I think that that stuff for me goes. A long way, and I prepare really hard for th for gigs with full respect that it's other people's. Right. Yeah, and and I also am cognizant of the fact, like when we're talking right now, for instance, that I'm not just I'm not representing just me. I'm st I am representing White Snake, or I'm representing Trans Siberian Orchestra, or even at the moment, Cher's band to a tiny degree. Although that basically is just about Cher, but uh, realistically. Uh, but I mean, I, w I guess my point is you're not going to hear me say anything that would be damaging to yeah, yeah. any of their businesses. David has what fought for white snake for 45 years now or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I mean, just a crazy amount of time. So, you know, what is a guy like me who's been in the band for four years? Uh, you, you know, I, I want to respect that and I want to have his back on what he worked hard for. Yeah, so I'm sure that go, I, I can imagine that goes a long way with him, you know, being in it for so long and seeing so many band members come and go. There's probably he probably has a lot of ins instances where he's thinking, this guy doesn't know how good he has it. Or sometimes when you're the boss, it's like you don't understand what it means to to be the guy, you know. It's just I think sometimes I think because it came, it took me so long to get to a point where things are good and I had like cool gigs and whatever. Yeah. All those are terms are relative. I don't want to sound self-important, but I guess gigs that pay well, or you get out there and you tour and you play for bigger crowds. And, uh, I, th I, I think that it came so hard for me that I just maybe appreciated a little bit more than like some guys where it came to them at like whatever, yeah, yeah. the age but, of 20. Sure. sure. Where like all of a sudden like, hey man, you're you're famous, and so for me it's a little easier, and I think that that's the people that I work for. Like I said, I think they pick up on that, and the, so uh, and that's the, that's something you can't fake. That has to be like real and genuine that you do appreciate it. So because uh, I've seen the other side of it, I've seen mm -hmm. the whole like 
I mean, I think I've literally played like every kind of gig there could be, trying to get to the point where I I have going on what I have going on. So, yeah. it it's uh, it's been hard fought, but at the same time, like I said, I wouldn't really supposed to do any of this, so I feel good about it. Yeah, I've heard. You know, I guess the question becomes: has, Was there a moment in your career where you were humbled that kind of changed your attitude, or? Or just I've it's, heard uh, it's, you got to eat yeah. a Yeah, I mean, I think when I was younger, I put off a little more, I think I was definitely a little more insecure and and put off like false bravado. Like when I went to GIT and I was 19 years old, I had like a lot of chops on guitar and stuff like that. But I think I came off as cocky back then but it was only because I was scared mm-hmm. and insecure mm-hmm. that was the first time I'd been out of like my suburb and sat in a room with like 500 other guitar players where you go holy crap like there's a million people out there this is just one class at GIT right. uh, what do they call it inauguration day or whatever when you, you know, sit and all sit in the room together it was just a real, real eye opener for me and I remember being real kind of guarded and closed off back then and now, man, it's, you know, I, I just don't have time for any of that. If, say, like, if somebody's a great guitar player or whatever, I'm the first person to tell them. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, just, it, it's so much more, like, liberating and free to just be like, I'm doing the best I can, no matter what, with everything. But, like, if someone is, is awesome, I'll, I love to let them know, man, because yeah. that's somebody I want to be friends with, right? Not yeah. somebody I want to be enemies with. Did you, uh, that reminds me of something I've heard time and time again, and that's, you know, I think calling it networking is shallow, but when you went out there at 19 to L.A., you know, do you still know some of the guys today that you... Yeah, there was there was uh, a couple uh, rock players that, that did really well and had good careers, and, you know, my buddy Pete Thorne in particular played with Jason and Chris Cornell's band. Pete plays with everybody and does all kinds of amazing stuff. He's uh, huge in the gear demo world, like he has demoed every piece of gear there is for people and just unbelievable, diligent, killer guitar player. And, uh, so, yeah, there there's an element of that, like guys who I went to school with back then and, and definitely... Um, like and even f- how you land gigs now, is it is it recommendations and you played with this guy? Yeah, it's usually a pretty tight recommendation. And like the share thing came from Justin Derrico, who recommended me to Cher's guitar player at the time, Dave Barry, who they played together on The Voice. They're the two guitar players on The Voice. So I, when Whitesnake wasn't going to tour in 2017, just sent out texts to any colleagues that were in my phone, basically. <laughs> like anybody in the business, like, hey, I'm going to be building a year kind of this year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so and this kind of came out of it, it just filling in at first and then Dave got really busy with the voice and I ended up doing more and more of it until it was just kind of I was doing it more or less that's interesting so when you do something like that and it, is it safe to assume you've done that quite a bit when it when something does end and nothing's lined up it's just kind of cast a net to be like I'm available that was the first time I had that in time. a long time and I was nervous because I was like well what, what's going to happen here but I built a great year I had a lot of fun that year it was it was really cool between starting with this and I did like you know rock and roll fantasy camp and I did like a clinic tour of Brazil where I played a concert with some guys and it was just this like crazy mishmash of uh, a year of just I, I guess you view it as opportunities because then you're yeah. actually uh, exploring 
new territory. And, and the Rock of Ages thing, the show itself on Broadway is closed, but that band, Broadway's Rock of Ages band, we still do corporate dates and some stuff with those guys. And so I, I ended up building a, a really good year anyway. And we, I not only played on the Whitesnake album that year, but then there was a pre-existing album that David hired me to play on. So it ended up being this really like... Jammed year, yeah. Did a, a corporate gig in Cabo with Kelly Hansen from Foreigner singing their set and Mickey Thomas from Starship singing his set and learned all those tunes. And On the plane down? <laughs> no, no, I, I spent time on it. If I if I have time, I spend it, trust me. I, I'm not into the, like, let's get ready in a day unless you absolutely are forced into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, back to, you know, the hypothetical texting everybody. Did you at least get a response of, Sure thing, I'll keep you in mind. Yeah. You oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, like, it's not like it goes on, like, I got something, but it's like... There's some guys don't write you back, and then... But most do, I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a weird thing, where people looking for work usually are the guys, like, people don't want to write back. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, oh, he's looking? <laughs> but the thing is, is leading up to that, I'd been gigging, like... Like virtually every day of my life, so it didn't come off too desperate, you know. I mean, it's certainly nothing at that level. And I and I I did in my text say I was looking to kind of fill in for people more than find like a full time gig. Like if you hear of anybody that needs a sub or a fill in or whatever, because um, obviously I was still in White Egg at that point in time and still in TSO, mm -hmm. so. I, for me, that's like, okay, that's enough <laughs> right there. Yeah. Two gigs would be enough. And then the share thing came along and turned into uh, all it has right now. So it's uh, it's pretty amazing to have three things rolling three right now. Like that. Yeah. So sitting here right now in 2019, you are a member of Whitesnake. You are a member of TSO. Like that's a, that's a, that's a sure thing for 2019 or is that a, is Oh yeah, yeah, that's definitely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yep. Yeah, and then and then doing this uh, in the gaps, and then even doing some of those Broadway Rock of Ages things, and I usually find like a stretch every year to play with my buddy Brandon Gibbs and do some acoustic shows. So, I the more avenues you have, the better. And that was another thing with that 2017. I did a lot. I was play with Brandon. We did a lot of those shows. I have a really good time with him. He's such a nice guy, and it's just two acoustic guitars. And, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, as many avenues as you can have is, is always smart and do the best in every situation. Treat people with respect, be on time, you know, all that simple stuff. But it's amazing yeah. how people miss the miss it a lot of times. Yeah, what's interesting when you mention stuff like, you know, um, these kind of ancillary gigs, I feel like, and you tell me, but is that it, it comes from more of a passion than a, than a, a check. Uh, I, mean, I think it's obvious to say you're not doing this for the money, but you you still you're so busy and you are doing certain things. Well, here's the way I look at it. Okay, so each of these things that I'm doing, I got to practice to get it together, right? And instead of like just randomly practicing and not getting paid, I'm getting paid to practice, basically. So. I view it like they go hand in hand because I do want to make a, uh, I do want to get paid on gigs. Uh, certainly some gigs are going to be your quote unquote money gigs more than others. I certainly don't like only take a playing scenario because of money. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do, there's something about the principle of getting paid to 
play and to practice and get better. That just makes sense, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, it, it it makes a lot more sense than like I'm just gonna do this for hours and hours and hours and not find a way to get a reward. But then people want that commercial thing out of it, but they've been looking at it backwards, right? Because the mo should have been the entire time what to keep doing with that to make that happen. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I definitely prepare really hard and play like sets of music really hard before I play in anything and try to have that internal thing about, remember, you should practice this harder than anybody else who's going to do this. Right. Um, yeah, so all that, I guess, but those are, these are really simple concepts, but they've kind of led to, I guess, uh, a certain level of like success. Right. So, I noticed in part of your schedule last year, you hosted like a jam at Iridium in New York City. Mm -hmm. Is that, um, how does that work? Is that something you do for like a week long or is that just a... So, no, that was just something that we did the year before that was like a Les Paul birthday bash, I believe. And I just somehow kind of became like the creative consultant behind that like that <laughs> that evening and like got a bunch of my friends to come play some songs and we I do a guy who does a great you know puts together a killer house band in New York and recommended him for that and so I kind of organized it um, and then the next year we did it it was just sort of like hey let's do that again but it wasn't the Les Paul birthday thing and I just said well let's just call it Iridium Jam and then they kind of just said Joel Hoekstra is a radio jam. I was like, oh, I guess, I guess this is mine now. <laughs> I had no idea, uh, but it was just, you know, all my 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 New York buddies coming out to play. You know, Chris Caffrey from TSO and JJ French from Twisted Sister, who's a we live right near each other in New York City. So just guys like that coming down to help me out. Steve Conti, who I I love there and great great player and just. All my favorite dudes mm -hmm. coming out and just had a, basically everybody does a couple of songs with the house band and fun night. And is that just, uh, is that like back to the old days? You just get a percentage of the door, you know, whatever they sell? There, uh, I think it was like a guarantee versus that, yeah. Okay. I know it's been a while since I've like heard that kind of lingo. Yeah. It was like, oh, okay, here we are. It's like, how many guys should get in? Talking okay, about, yeah, talking, talking about the door versus yeah, the guarantee. Yeah, hey, whatever, man. That's something like that. Obviously, that's that would fall under the category of I'm not doing it for the money. Mm -hmm. Obviously, yeah, yeah. so I mean that's totally for the fun. And, and we obviously go play my guitar at jams in L.A. I've done all that. Whatever, go to the ultimate jam night at the Lucky Strike and go play for. It doesn't matter. You know? Right. Am I missing anything? Like I've, I've noticed you have like the rock cruise. I don't know what they call those. Those you know, monsters rock, of rock cruise. Monsters is the, rock that's cruise. that's the one I do like every year. Yeah. Um, you know these the rhythm jam. I mean, you just again you don't you don't you never sit still. Like, is, what else is it that you you enjoy to do that I, I'm not picking up on? It's well, what it is 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 all those relationships have stayed good with me. Like Larry, who runs that monsters of rock cruise, I met as a fill-in tour manager for Night Ranger and. The first time I did that cruise was with Night Ranger, and then they weren't going to do it the next year. But he said, well, I'd still like to get you on. So I did my solo acoustic thing, and then it turned into this tradition. And 
So, but again, it's a little bit like a, about giving back with that. Like I, there's years I've gone on there and I've given out 500 CDs or I like buy hundreds of dollars in Bloody Marys for the people that are there like to, to watch me play and buy picture after picture of Bloody Marys. And then they, it's kind of hard for them to go at that point. That guy's an, an idiot or a jerk or whatever. I mean, maybe I'm an idiot for doing it, but I don't know. But I guess the idea is I'm grateful to be there. So that comes across to the people that comes across to Larry who books the cruise and never think I'm too cool for school or too cool to be there or too good to be there. Right. And, and on all that stuff, all those scenarios we're talking about, when you add those all together, if you've done well on a personal level with all those people, then they're all going to mm-hmm. stay alive as much as possible. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, that, that, that's really, I just think that's just good business, but it's also just kind of who I am just uh, in terms of being being positive and, and uh, okay, so I like to say every gig has its pros and its cons. The key is to keep your eye on the pros, mm-hmm. right? Because you can drive yourself crazy and how many, how many times have you seen people make bad business decisions based upon only the cons? You look at a lot of the original members that can't reunite with bands where they'd make so much more money. And it's because they're only looking at the cons of it, or right, or but they can't get they can't get around the issues to see the bigger picture of that would be successful, and it's what the fans want, and it's right. so. I mean, I guess I understand. What would be the cons for you at this stage? I mean, I feel like you have you know if you, if you look at Sherry, you look at White Snake. What would the what would a con be? Just well, I can't I can't say it because that's against my. Your belief, your, yeah, yeah belief. it's a, it's well, against my yourself. thing about keeping my eye on the right. pros. So if we start talking about the cons, <laughs> that's not cool of me, right? Because then it's, then I'm saying something negative about having somebody give me an opportunity to play my guitar and make a living right, doing right, it. So right. yeah, I mean, but again, that's a great exercise in itself to get used to. The Night Ranger guys were really great training for that when I joined that band. They were very good at um, just. Don't ever say anything negative in an interview. That's mm-hmm. that was a, like one of their thoughts, and they were really great with that. David Coverdale is like that, just in general with traveling. He's really big on energy and positive energy, and uh, I take those opportunities from guys like that who have built successful careers off of that mentality. The Night Ranger guys or David Coverdale, you could say all those guys have had great careers. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, millions of dollars making rock and roll music, and but that's. That's how they operate. They they operate on positive energy, right? So, you take the opportunity to learn uh, from people like that more than, I guess, just sort of, uh, I guess, let it pass you by or not not take note of it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, what are some of the other ways that your? I mean, I guess I would point to um, your monthly column in Guitar World. Do you have other outlets like this that, you know, again, I don't want to be facetious with just money but what other opportunities you have to you know to make a, a buck here and there you know that may not be the guitar world thing really stage. doesn't they that's really more for uh and it's going to be lame to hear it from me at this stage of the game but that's more about exposure it's more about like i think that monster pentatonic lesson the first one i taught is like the first thing that comes up when you basically google me or whatever that 400,000 views or 500,000 views or something and it that's uh that's great and it's just me and it's guitar players watching it so 
<clears throat> it's really great in that regard when you look at the the pros of it. That is not that is definitely not a money gig. Like having the the okay. column in Guitar World is not like that would never that wouldn't pay a bill. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I assumed if it was anything, it would you know pay be, pay a low con ed bill. No, <laughs> but again, like <laughs> instead of looking at that opportunity and going, well, why would I do that if they're not going to pay me a ton of money or like. It, the key is not that. The key is to look at what it would do for you, mm-hmm. right? If you look at all the bads, you'll never do any of it, right? Right. right. You got to just kind of put blinders on and look at everything good about every situation. And there is. There's lots good about every situation. There's like, I mean, I can literally like look at my life and kind of think, I don't know many more people more blessed than me. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that says it all. Right. So... When you get to that point of, then you know what you're doing is working. Mm-hmm. So I mean, sure. I'm like, look, I'm not. I'm not as big as some guitar players, or as famous uh, as some guitar players, or as proficient as some, or whatever. But that that's my method. That's what I do, and that's what's working for me and keeping me happy, and um, just giving me an opportunity to to play my guitar, raise my family, raise my kids. Do what I love. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about some of the opportunities that you get. I guess I would uh, frame it as benefits or endorsements. Like, again, if I go to your your website, you look like you've, at, I don't know if it's at, at one time you've been endorsed by pretty much everything that's been out there. <laughs> well, but how does that, how does that work? Okay, you know, so the, re- that work to the, the reason that is, is you want to make, if somebody gives you something, uh, I like to make it worth their while. I'm not just going to like stick it in a warehouse until I sell it on eBay, on eBay 10 years from now. Right. Like if, if I'm going to take a guitar from somebody, which you do get lots of emails from luthiers and people like upstart companies, and I'll just tell them no thank you, even though they're offering me a free guitar. Because in the end, nothing's free. If, right. I, if I'm not going to make it worth their while and make them money, get, make, get them business, then... Right. No, I, I don't want to take it with all due respect because it's, I would sure I, on a level I'd love to, but I also just feel it's not the right thing to do. So I've also never had a company say, hey, we want to lock you up, man. We want to make a signature model. If Gibson came to me and said, we, we want to do that, or uh, but that's never happened. Mm-hmm. So I've had different situations where I, hey, uh, I would really like this guitar where I'll contact somebody I know at Gibson or Fender. Um the guys at Atomic who've helped me out a lot over the years and people that like I can, I can say, Hey, you know, Dave Friedman, uh, got me one of his tele guitars and I knew, Oh, I can use it in this spot in TSO. And if you put a sustainer in it, I'll be able to hold it up. There'll be lots of pictures of it online. Uh, I I like to make it worth people's while if they're going to give me something. And, uh, and I only play guitars that I like. Like I I wouldn't just play it just because, Somebody gave it to me, basically. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's. I think that's a combination of me wanting to make it worth everybody's while and also the fact that no one has ever <laughs> said to me, we want to lock you up and do a signature model. So. Right. And is the same true for stuff like um, St. Bohemian Jewelry? I noticed you had a call out to them. Yeah, but I love her stuff, man. Right. She makes amazing stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, she... Gives me those necklaces and I wear them on stage. I think they look cool and I don't have to do anything more than that. So outside of make it worth her while and let people know that I'm wearing her jewelry, which is great. 
So yeah, all those things like the picks and the cuffs from Dennis Conti and all. I just try to make sure that people know where those are from. That that this poor guy isn't just making cuff after cuff for me without getting any love back. Right, sure. <laughs> the, the whole the whole idea is he's trying to be successful too, right? <laughs> so it, that just again that falls under the category of being respectful to the people who are helping you, and then you obviously help them in turn, right? Right. How does something like this come about serendipitously? I mean, do you come across it, and or do they know you? Do you have a relationship, or do they reach out to you? Or is I, it kind uh, of for mixed? the most part, they reach out to me. Okay. Yeah, yeah that that they usually have come to me, and then it just kind of comes down to I'm, I'll look at something. If somebody's offering me something, I'm going to make sure that I really do like it. I'm going to want to use it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. that's not it's not the right thing to do. Right. So I've been going on and on about how busy your 2018 has been. What's what do you have lined up for 2019? I know I know there's a White Snake summer tour. You do yeah. sheds this summer. Uh, so uh, r- the way it is lined up right now. So I'm doing this share run in the U.S. This arena run. Then we're gonna do I'm gonna do the Monsters of Rock cruise. Then I'm doing a share residency in Las Vegas, and from there I go straight to White Snake rehearsals, and we're doing. Uh, a U.S. that goes like, I think second week of April through like third, second, third week of May, and then hopefully go straight from there to Cher's Canadian run, where she's doing like a nine, ten day run through Canada, and then come back from that and then do do Europe with White Snake, which is all festivals, and most of those dates have been announced, I believe, at this stage of the game. So that's uh, June into mid-July, then in August I'll be back with Cher in Las Vegas at a residency, and then September, October uh, TSO preparation? Well, no, that would be November, December but there's, uh, Whitesnake is probably going to have stuff about as far as I can go without speaking out of line, but uh, then Whitesnake should have more stuff in the fall basically, and then TSO in November, December, so Do you have anything for 2020 lined up? Uh, no so funny. I don't. I mean, it's amazing you have 2019, like, it's booked, pretty much. Yeah. No, it's overbooked. It's um, <laughs> what it is. Who are you going on? Is White Snake usually puts together a great lineup. Do you guys have a, is there, what's the, sort of? Uh, I don't know who we or? have as a word. We're a headliner on the U.S. dates. So, okay. um, obviously, we do, we did, like, more of an opener set last year. So, this year was, like, wanted to play and have it be stuff off the new album and everything. That comes out, um, I believe, in May. But they're going to release singles leading up to it, so we'll start getting a taste of it uh, much sooner. Well, uh, let me wrap things up. I, I wrap things up with the same five questions that I give to everybody. Okay. So let's go there. Number one is uh, your house is on fire. Everyone is out safe, all living creatures. What would you go back in to get that's... Uh, as many know, as um, many of my guitars as I could get. <laughs> Any mementos? Any you know, I, you know. I, I understand the the instruments, but is there anything that's meaningful that was given to you by an artist or you know, music related? No. Okay. I would just I just scramble for the guitars. <laughs> those are the mementos. Who gets who gets the? <laughs> those are the mementos and the memories and and hopefully, I mean, God willing, what would be the most valuable things someday to like? Is there one? What's the first guitar you grab? Uh, well, my favorite guitar that I have is my uh, gold top Les Paul that I actually have out here for the time being with Cher's stuff. 
Um, just because that's that guitar's been around the world with me. Okay. Uh, question two is: If I was at liberty to give you a million dollars to donate to one charity, which one charity would you give it to? You know, it might be fun, but that situation is like, okay, just take a take a million dollars and find like a homeless person you really really <laughs> like and just change their life. <laughs> Because the million dollars would go so far and just completely change. So maybe that okay. more than a charity because a charity gets spread out yeah. and you maybe wouldn't know the results. But just to totally make like one person's life would be really, really fun. That would be interesting. It sounds like a, sounds like a movie. Uh, question three is what would your walk-up music be to the Pearly Gates? Bach air on the G-string. Is that well known? I don't know if that's... Uh... <laughs> the title sounds dirty, but it's not. <laughs> No, it's just like the it, it that is like the prettiest piece of music ever written. It sounds like literally sounds like heaven already. So okay, apropos. Yeah, I don't think I'd want anything kind of. I just would want to feel like I'm floating away, right? <laughs> All right. What is stuck on repeat in hell? Oh man, in this line of work, you have to be careful to answer that. Well, I know it's you said it's a <laughs> negative. It's a negative question, right? Maybe maybe a reel of like me playing and sounding. You know, all right. So really bad YouTube footage of me, okay. where the audio sucks and I'm not and I, like somehow didn't play that well or You're playing something. Paranoid as a eleven year old. How old were you again? <laughs> I would say that it would just be like a repeat video of all the like my worst moments on YouTube or something. Right, yeah, bad quality yeah. phone video. Okay, last question is uh, your favorite concert you've witnessed. Like, has there been? Have you had a religious experience? It'd have to be my first one, just because I was so young and it was so cool. But seventh grade, I went to go see Iron Maiden on the Peace of Mind tour. It was the first concert I went to, and Quiet Riot opened. They had, that had just really broken open. Uh, Come on, feel the noise. Right, right. Um, so that one, just because I was really young, and it was the first show I went to. I can imagine a lot of theatrics with a yeah. maiden. After that, I would say there was once where I think through a friend's mom we got tickets pretty early, but I had seventh row to Dio when I was younger, and Twisted Sister opened, and that was really an awesome show too. Just to have that good of seats as a little yeah, yeah. kid was yeah, really yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Joel, I appreciate you taking your yeah, time. And, absolutely, uh, it was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. Big thank you to Joel Hoekstra, who was very generous from the first time I contacted him back when he could not do the podcast because he was doing two shows a day over the holidays with the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Super nice guy, and as you heard, a true professional. You can keep up with Joel on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and, this is not a typo, MySpace. Let's hear it from MySpace. You can also see his crazy schedule from last year posted on his website, joelhoekstra.com. As for the podcast, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so visit and follow us there. And give us some love on iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave us a comment. We'll be back next Tuesday with an all-new episode featuring an artist behind an inescapable hit of 2000, so please meet us right back here for that. Okay, episode 47 has been there and done that. Good night, Cleveland. Good night, Cleveland.